Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Take your Bibles, if you would, please. Turn to John chapter 19. We've come in our study, book of John, John chapter 19 and verse number 31. Jesus' horrifying death on the cross is now complete. Jesus, aware that his suffering of God's wrath is at an end, cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. It meant it is finished, and it always will be finished. The work of atonement for our sins was completed. And then at the end of three hours of darkness, Jesus uttered his last words from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, He breathed his last. Jesus laid down his life at the time of his own choosing. We have examined the events of his death, and now we will examine the events surrounding the removal of Jesus from the cross and his burial in a buried tomb. We will discover the continued animosity of the Jewish religious leadership and the callousness of the Roman soldiers at the cross and the courageous commitment of two of his formerly secret disciples. This morning I want to bring a message that I've entitled, It's Time to Declare Our Belief. I want you to note with me four things this morning. First, we're going to look at the Sanhedrin. Jesus was not only crucified on a Friday, which is the day before the Jewish Sabbath, which is our Saturday, which began, and the Sabbath begins at the evening of Friday evening. But it was the day of the preparation for the Passover. And so John writes in John 19, 31, Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath, this Sabbath was a high day, the Jews, that is the Jewish religious leadership, and here we're referring to the Sanhedrin, which would be the, the equivalent of our Supreme Court, they asked Pilate, that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. While it was not unusual for those who were executed to remain on the cross for several days, is that it was explicitly laid out in Jewish law that those who died on the cross would be hastened, their death would be hastened in order to not bring a curse on the land by their staying on the cross overnight. The Jews were very strict about the way the Sabbath was kept, and the timing of the crucifixion demanded that those who were crucified be removed from the cross, that the Sabbath might not be defiled. 
Orders, therefore, were given to break the legs of the victims, which would have prevented their pushing up to relieve the pressure on their diaphragm, allowing them to exhale the air in their lungs. The breaking of the legs of the victims would therefore literally cause them to suffocate to death because they would be unable to exhale. Which brings us to the soldiers in verse 32. And then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who were crucified with him, speaking of the two thieves, one on either side of him. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. John tells us that the soldiers quickly got to work, and taking a large mallet, which we would probably describe as a sledgehammer, they broke the legs of the two men who were crucified with Jesus. But when the Roman soldiers came to Jesus, they recognized that he was already dead. These men were veterans of crucifixion. They could spot death since they were trained to recognize it. But to make absolutely certain that Jesus was dead, one soldier drove his spear through the ribcage, piercing the pericardium and striking the heart, resulting with a flow of water and blood. There was simply no need to break the legs of a man who, in their expert opinion, undoubtedly was already dead. Which brings us to the Scriptures in verse 35. And he who had been who has seen, has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these days, for these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones should be broken. And again, another Scripture says, and they shall look on him whom they pierced. Although the individuals involved in putting Jesus to death were unaware, these, these verses reveal to us that the crucifixion went entirely according to the plan and will of God. The soldiers did not know it, but in their decision not to break the legs of Jesus, they were fulfilling the Scripture. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46 is the provision that the bones of the Passover lamb must not be broken. And in Psalm 34 verse 20, a prophecy of the Messiah says he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Jesus, of course, became the ultimate once for all time Passover lamb. Therefore, in piercing his body with a spear, the soldiers likewise fulfilled a second prophecy found in 
Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, which says, They look on him whom they have pierced. This speaks not only of those who witnessed it on that day, but it is a prophecy of a time yet future when a repentant Israel will be gathered in the end times and they will look on him whom they had pierced. Which brings us to the fourth and most important point for us this morning, the secret disciples. First of all, we're told who these secret disciples were in verses 38 and 39. It's interesting that at the time when all of the apostles have forsaken Jesus and have fled, a time when all hope for the movement that was associated with the name of Jesus was gone, it is that this particular time that the two secret disciples boldly step out and seek to do what they can to give Jesus a proper burial. After Jesus' death, all the disciples, all the apostles, suddenly became secret disciples. Yet in these two men, it is the cross that makes a difference. It is the cross that makes him step out and make a remarkable difference in their lives. Prior to the crucifixion of Jesus, these men were unwilling to publicly identify themselves with Jesus. But following his sacrificial death, their fear was replaced with courage and devotion. What seems even more incredible is that these two men came from the ranks of the Sanhedrin itself. After all, it is the Sanhedrin who have been able to maneuver Pilate to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus. It is the Sanhedrin which has manipulated the crowd into choosing Barabbas over Jesus. They were even present at the cross and mocked Jesus as he hung on the cross. Yet, it is out of this most unlikely of sources that two secret disciples now step up to care for the body of Jesus. The first of the two secret disciples is introduced in verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body of Jesus. So the first secret disciple of Joseph, a mayor of Mahithia, whom the synoptic gospels portray in a very favorable way. Matthew tells us that he was a rich man and that he was a disciple of the Lord. Luke tells us that he was a member of the Sanhedrin and that he opposed the council's plan to put Jesus to death. After Jesus' death, Joseph went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and he asked for the body of Jesus that he might be properly buried. To go to Pilate and make this request took a great deal of courage. Luke tells us in his gospel that 
Joseph did not agree with the decision of the Sanhedrin. And while he didn't agree with the council's decision, neither did he publicly declare his belief in Jesus. Mark tells us that Joseph was waiting for the kingdom of God, that his heart was open, but he was waiting. His decision and his action was bold for several reasons. First of all, he had no legal rights. As he was not related to Jesus, he had no real right to go to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body. Secondly, traditionally, those who were guilty of treason were not allowed to be buried at all. But they were left, either to hang in shame or their bodies were cast as garbage into the dump. Thus, he had every reason to believe that his request would be denied on principle, since the official reason for the execution of Jesus was treason. Also, in doing so, in requesting the body of Jesus, he identified himself as a follower of Jesus. Therefore, his request amounted to an open confession of personal loyalty to the crucified Jesus, which would very likely incur his associates' hostility. He has to expect that Pilate was going to be careful before granting his request. After all, it was the Sanhedrin who had manipulated him into crucifying this man. And Joseph is a member of that group. So Pilate summoned the centurion in charge of the crucifixion. And he is surprised to learn that Jesus is already dead. In releasing the body for burial, it would appear to be something that Pilate grudgingly grants on some face, but perhaps not. If Pilate is suffering guilt over having condemned an innocent man, he may have felt good to know that this righteous man, as Pilate's own wife had referred to Jesus, was at least getting a proper burial. And if the other Jewish religious leaders didn't like it, so much the better. The second secret disciple is told, we are told about in verse 39. When Joseph went to claim the body of Jesus, he was accompanied by another man, another secret disciple by the name of Nicodemus. It says, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. We first met Nicodemus in John chapter 3 when he came to visit Jesus by night and he was told, you must be born again. In fact, everything that we know about Nicodemus is found in the gospel of John. The next time that we see Nicodemus is in John chapter 7. When Nicodemus objected to the way the San 
Sanhedrin was proposing to deal with Jesus. Perhaps for us today, the interesting thing coming out of that story in John chapter 7 was that the Sanhedrin told Nicodemus to look into the subject more carefully, implying, of course, that his grasp of the subject of Jesus was shallow and inadequate. But I believe that Nicodemus did just that. And he came to the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah. Joseph and Nicodemus were not the only secret disciples among the Jewish religious leadership because in John chapter 12 and verse 42, he says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, that is Jesus, but because of the Pharisees did not confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Perhaps Joseph's courage in taking a stand for Jesus influenced Nicodemus to do the same. Who knows if your taking a stand for Christ might inspire someone else as well. What these secret disciples did is relayed in verse number 40 through 42. Working together, these two men are able to accomplish something that the Lord's earthly family or his 11 remaining disciples could not do. He gained access to Pilate and he has granted the body of Jesus for burial. In verse 40, we are told how Joseph and Nicodemus took the body of Jesus and got it ready for burial. And then they took the body of Jesus and wrapped it in strips of linen with spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. What I want you to see out of all of this is that Jesus was buried as a king. A simple commoner would be wrapped in inexpensive cloth with a few spices and placed in a grave. But a king was wrapped in linen wrappings. And then a large amount of spices were used for the burial. So Nicodemus and Joseph wrapped the body of Jesus in strips of linen in accordance with Jewish burial tradition. Joseph and Nicodemus would have not had a large amount of time to travel with the body of Jesus, nor go through elaborate preparations for his burial. They did what they could in the limited time frame that they had. What a wonderful thought that is for us in our own devotion to Christ. We may not be able to do all we want to do, but let's at least do what we can do in our expression of love for Christ. In verse 41 we find that they fulfilled yet another prophecy concerning the Messiah. It says, Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb 
in which no one had ever been laid. So they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. The fact that Jews, that Joseph of Arimathea gave his own tomb for the burial of Jesus was a prophecy found in Isaiah 53, verse 9. And he made his grave with the rich. That Jesus is buried in a rich man's tomb is amazing considering that he just died the death of a criminal. But we have noted throughout the study and the story of the rest and the trial and the execution of Jesus that John has emphasized over and over the kingship of Jesus and the control of Jesus of every aspect of this. Jesus is buried in a tomb that has been carved out of solid rock, which of course was a very expensive proposition. John emphasizes the point that this was an unused tomb that no one had ever been buried in before, stressing this by using a double negative in which he says no one not ever had been buried or laid evidence that John saw as important. Matthew informs us that this is Joseph's own tomb. But don't feel too bad for Joseph. Jesus won't need it very long. Though the Romans might leave a criminal upon a cross to be devoured by the the birds or the wild animals, The Jews would at least put the body in a common grave, probably along with the two other men who were crucified that day. There might not be much fanfare for a criminal, but they at least showed them the sense of dignity for human life by placing the body in a grave. But the burial of Jesus Christ was more that of a king. A number of scholars and expositors affirm that our Lord's burial was royal in every detail. As Leon Morris expressed it, Jesus may have been crucified in the manner of a criminal, but he was buried in the manner of a king. In his death, Jesus was sovereign. There are three things I would like for us to notice about what these two secret disciples did. First, they gave generously of their own resources in order to honor Christ. John tells us that Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. A hundred pounds of spices shows us that the expense of Christ's burial was kingly in its proportions. In some ways, this is like the story found in John chapter 12, where Mary of Bethany poured out expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. They were both in preparation for his burial. They were both expressions, extravagant expressions of love. 
And they were both one-time acts that could never be repeated. They gave of their own resources. Secondly, they honored Christ when there was nothing to gain and everything to lose. Even the Lord's own 11 disciples had not taken the risk of trying to claim the body of Jesus. But these men literally had nothing to gain in stepping forward now. And they honored Christ at the risk of criticism and possibly being ostracized by their peers. They have every reason to believe that having identified with Jesus, they will lose their positions in the Sanhedrin. But what did these secret disciples miss? It may be someone in the congregation today who is really a believer in the Lord, but for the most part, you've kept it secret. I want to take just a moment to encourage you to make it public by showing you the sad results of secret discipleship. First of all, the first result of secret discipleship is they lose the opportunity to grow in the Lord. They lost the opportunity they would have had to walk with him during his earthly ministry. The second result of failure to to declare Christ openly is you lose the opportunity for valuable fellowship with other Christians. Why is it so important to understand the death and burial of Jesus? While the Roman soldiers have already affirmed the death of Christ, the Jews could easily have spread rumors to the contrary in an effort to claim that Jesus really did not die. There are even some in our day who have claimed the death of Jesus was not real, but that he really only swooned. He only fainted on the cross. When you consider the fact of his entombment being wrapped thoroughly in linen wrappings covered with burial spices and placed in a cold tomb, there really can be no doubt left concerning his death. Joseph and Nicodemus in handling the body of Christ would have recognized if there were any life remaining in him as they picked him up and they rolled and handled the body in their burial preparations. If they were risking their reputations and their futures in Israel by caring for the body of Jesus, they certainly would have not put a living man into a tomb. The burial signifies a public notice that Jesus... Christ of Nazareth was dead. For us who are the beneficiaries of his death, it is a public notice that when Jesus said it is finished, that it was really finished. 
Our whole salvation is bound up in the vicarious death of Christ. He died so that we might live. But if he never died, if he only fainted and then revived, then there has been no satisfaction made before God for our sins. There has been no true atonement, but only a useless bloodletting. If there is no death, then there is no atonement. Then we are not redeemed from the curse of the law. So we remain under the judgment of God as lawbreakers. If there is no death, there has been no offering for sin through the death of Christ to redeem our sin in the flesh. If there has been no death, then there has been no resurrection. Therefore, without it, we have no hope. But praise God, the story of Jesus does not end with the tomb as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians fifteen sixty seven, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The tomb is empty today because Jesus rose from the dead. And I know that I can have eternal life because he did rise from the grave. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for those who are gathered here and their attentiveness, their willingness to listen, even as I struggle so hard with my voice this morning. I pray your message would get through. Father, if there's one here today that has never declared publicly their belief in you, I pray that they might take this as the day to make a public statement of their faith, their faith in you, no longer secret, but publicly following you. And may each of us as Christians recognize the challenge that we have every day about whether or not we're going to be loyal to you, whether we're going to take a stand for you, or whether we're going to stand silently by. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.